You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hey, this is Michael Pincus, the great guy from MichaelPincusWineReview.com, and you're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine. And today, I'm so excited to have my very special guest. Oh, who am I kidding? It's my usual co-host, Andre Pru. I have some objections with the fact that you just called me special, because I don't think you mean, like, you know, special, unique. I think you mean the other kind of special. You are very special, Andre. That's what my mom tells me. Yeah, we'll pat you on the head every time I see you. I'm Andre Pru. You can find me at AndreWineReview.ca. Okay, so today, um, I think you uh, wanted to do a little follow-up from uh, Cuvée, something that we did last week as a special podcast, and you wanted to um, have a say about something. I don't even know what you're talking about, so I I don't even know how to introduce it. I just have a, a bit of an observation that uh, a few episodes ago we talked about Cabernet Franc and it was one of our more popular podcasts to date and uh, I went up and defended uh, Cabernet Franc as something that's getting the proper treatment and respect it deserves from the wineries but and I, taking... and I and I think my point was that it it was not no wineries are, are stepping up to the plate and being a hundred percent cab franc or at least saying this is the grape that we are uh, this is the grape that we stand behind. With a couple of exceptions. A couple of, a very few exceptions. And I'm taking a look at the list from Cuvée, and there were some wines that had Cabernet Franc in the blend, but out of all the wines being poured, there was only one lonely Cabernet Franc single varietal, and it was from Brian Schmidt at Vineland, which is what yep. we would expect from him. Yeah, so and, come and on, a, guys. A good, a good wine. Again, a good wine. A really good Cabernet Franc. He does it every year. I just don't know what's up with that. That's all I got to say is what up with that? What up? Syrah, Pinot Noir, Syrah, Pinot Noir, Shiraz, Pinot Noir. I'm, I'm, I'm running through the list. Merlot, Cab Sauve, White Merlot. Okay, I'm done. It's out of my system. I, I rest my case. If I could actually get away with it, I'd drop the mic and leave. Done. Well, I'd get to talk more, so I don't know if people would object to that too much. I, uh, <laughs> I I would. How about that? I would. What's in your glass, Michael? Uh, well, okay. Um, I really hate to give you this. I really hate giving you this. But today, in my glass, I have my first five... And I, I, the review is out there, so you can actually look it up. My first five-star review... Of 2016. <laughs> and this, it's, it pains me to say this with you on the other end. But it is the Hillibrand, Hillibrand or Trius, whatever one you want to do, Trius Showcase 2013 Wild Ferment Chardonnay. It, 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 How good it, is it, Michael? Re- really is. A spectacular bottle of wine, and at thirty-six dollars, and I don't say this often, is a steal at thirty-six dollars. This is the wine you're going to want in your glass. You're going to want it all summer long. You're going to want it with food. You're going to want it without food. This is the wine you're going to want to put your hands on and drink copious amounts of it until it is just running through your bloodstream. And that's what your bloodstream is. I know that we don't want long pauses, but I'm just letting it marinate. That I, I know you're letting that one. That one I could see. I was like, 
I was trying to fill that void and fill that gap as long as I could, listening to you laugh in my head. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I'll be 100% honest, was I was writing the review and tasting the wine, I was like, oh boy, is Andre going to have a field day with this one? Well, I'm enjoying something completely different. Well, I'm sure. It's something that I, I'm really, really digging right now. It's the Coyotes Run 2013 Red Paw Vineyard Pinot Noir. A great producer of Pinot Noir. I think my favorite producer of Pinot Noir in the on the Niagara-on-the-Lake area. Um, I love the Red Paw. Uh, every year I seem to love the Red Paw Pinot. It's uh, just a delicate, feminine style of Pinot that I really, really dig. I, that's why I'm drinking it. Yep. I'm drinking a lot of it. Yep. Very good wine. So uh, this week, I think, I don't know what we're, you have the list. What are we talking about? We are talking about, should a winery only specialize in a few grape varietals? Ah, uh, yes. Should a winery only specialize in a few varietals? And and I believe this may be one of our shorter podcasts, although we say that and we end up talking for about half an hour. Uh I think we're in agreement here. I yes. really do. I think that a winery should specialize in uh, only a few grape varieties and then dabble in the other ones. Uh, but it seems that New World wineries, uh, of which we are part of, Ontario, uh, seem to want to make everything. If Shiraz makes it big, everybody's got to make Shiraz. Uh, if Pinot Grigio makes it big, everybody's got to be making Pinot Grigio. Whether you can make Pinot Grigio or not is another story. You may be the worst Pinot Grigio maker in the world, but you put Pinot Grigio on the label, suddenly everybody's buying it. Uh, I really think we should be specializing. Well, the problem that we're having in uh, Ontario anyways is um, given the climate that we have, especially in the on the Niagara side and uh, the Lake Erie North Shore, is the climate is well-suited to a lot of different varietals and uh, I guess we're just in a, in a position like you said that there's a lot of people who are just trying to grow everything and do everything and try to hit the moving target of what the market is saying and see, see, I mean I would, dis I would disagree with you on that uh, just a little bit since we can have some controversy here sure um, I believe in a, in a climate like California Chile Argentina hot climate regions Go grow everything that you possibly can. But we're in a cool climate region. We should be looking at specialization. Chardonnays, Pinot Noirs. Our Syrahs are starting to do very well. Now, would we have known that? Have we not tested it out? Maybe not. But there were some people who were doing it really well. And that's what they hung their hat on. If we remember the old Laley uh, wines, he was making great Syrah. And then everybody was also wanting to make great Syrah because Creekside was also making. So there was two great Syrahs in the area and everybody started to make Shiraz or Syrah. So you everybody should be making Syrah or Shiraz. Okay, so you've rounded up the list with uh, Chardonnay, Pinot, Syrah, but then we also need to throw in Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Gamay, well, I Riesling, think we should, you, I think you should stop right there. Merlot is uh, is being ripped out. Uh, because of the two cold winters we had, this one was not a cold winter. Uh, and if, you know, spring continues the way it has, then, you know, we're, or, you know, the winter continues the way it has, uh, you know, we're going to have an early bud break and now we're going to be sweating out um, a frost. But I mean, Merlot 
seems to not be very winter hardy, and we are in Canada, whether we like it or not, uh, maybe Merlot should go. I know we like Merlot. I think maybe a few places that it can grow in should stick around, but I maybe Merlot should should kick the bucket. People are saying that they shouldn't be growing Cabernet Sauvignon every year. There are some great wineries that make a great Cabernet Sauvignon every year. I was just at Strewn Winery. Uh, Mark Bradshaw makes a great Cabernet Sauvignon, and he seems to do it every year. He lets it hang, and he's making a great Cabernet Sauvignon. So maybe Mark Bradshaw and Strewn can continue to make Cabernet Sauvignon, whereas the more weedy green ones should not be. Well, I mean, what happens then is we might put ourselves in a position where uh, things are incredibly restrictive. I, I know when I was visiting Beaujolais a couple of years ago, I was talking to some producers who feel like they're extremely restricted in what they can do because in that particular region, the only varietals that are acceptable to the uh, AOC is Gamay and Chardonnay. And do you think there's a way that we could limit it right down to two? I understand that we want people to specialize, but at what point does specializing down to a few uh, grape varietals hinder uh, creativity? And I guess at this point I was saying that I agreed with you at the beginning, but I, I, I'm going to take the devil's advocate side of this argument. Okay. All right. I, well, I'm, I mean, I'm still going to stick with mine. The, the reason that we should have wineries that specialize, and I'm not opposed to people growing everything and trying to make everything they can. But I don't think you should be making the same amount, and I think you should be looking at what grows in your vineyard that's special to you. So I'm not saying that we were like, we're like Bordeaux or Beaujolais, that we say, look, you can only grow these two varieties. I'm saying that we should kick the doors wide open. And I'm saying that to VQA also, where they have limited, they say, oh, you can only grow these grapes because this grape is recognized by VQA and this one is not. Look, just crack the doors wide open and say, if you can grow it and it grows here in Ontario, you're allowed to make a wine from it. But I think wineries over a certain period of time, like they do in those old world regions, you've got to figure out what grows best. And that's what you should, people should be going to your winery because you make great Pinot, great Chardonnay, great Cabernet Franc, great Gamay. You've got to have a wine that you make, that people are talking about, not that you're making everything. I would definitely agree with that. And uh, it's one of the exciting things uh, that we're starting to see happen in in Ontario is I know especially some of the mid-sized wineries might be the ones who are guiltier of having the broad portfolio that have, you know, a little bit of everything in them and then some. But I know in a conversation I had recently with uh, Angelo uh, Pavan at, at Cave Spring, and he told me that that winery is making a conscious effort to uh, pare back the vineyards and make sure that they're only growing what does well on the site so that they can make better wine consistently, whether it's a hot vintage or a cool vintage. I'm, I'm very I'm very happy with that. I'm great. I'm happy to hear that. I think that Cave Spring makes great Cabernet Franc. They do make, I think great, they make Cabernet great Cabernet Franc. Franc. I think they make I think in a good year. Angelo can make great Pinot Noir. I don't think he always makes great Pinot Noir, but I think he makes, in in good vintages, some of his Pinots are the best in the province. Michael, you know what else they make really good at Cave Spring? Sparkling wine? Riesling? Chardonnay. No. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I like the Chardonnay and the Musquet that they grow. But it's, it it is interesting. What what I find interesting though, is, like I said, it's kind of the mid the 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 bigger players in the field who, uh, even when I I started drinking wine in Ontario, I guess almost a decade ago, had these broad portfolios that had everything in them that had Shiraz, that had 
um, muscat and a bunch of other things that you don't see on the shelf very often anymore. And now the more serious you get into it with a lot of smaller wineries that are opening up, we have places that are specializing in one or two varietals right when they open the door. I mean, uh, look at places like 16 Mile that are only making Chardonnay and, and Pinot Noir and, you know, have kind of dipped their toes in the pond with a couple of other things with a rosé and some other stuff that's just sort of kicking around. But they've hung their hat on just those two varietals from the get-go. Well, I think a, a great example of somebody who's been around for a long time uh, is Malivoire, mm-hmm. uh, who you know hung their hat on Chardonnays, Pinot Noir, Gamay. Like that was you know at the time of their opening, who would have thought Gamay was the thing? Um, Rosé, if I'm not mistaken. But those that was those were his three core varieties right there. And and granted, he's he's branched out into uh, Pinot Gris. Um, a more serious rosé in the Moira rosé. He's definitely still hanging his hat on those original core varietals, right? Yeah, but he's also brought out, you know, when he finds great Cabernet Sauvignon, he he makes one. He may, he find, they find great Cab Franc, they make it. Limited amount, small batch, but I think that's that's what you should be looking at as a winery, not hey, let's crack the doors open and, and grow everything and make everything and then let the people decide. I think you've got to know what your vineyard does. I think you've got to know what your winemaker does because not all winemakers can make all wines. That's also another interesting uh, interesting comment and something that's very true. So what happens if you need to switch your personnel? Is it just finding a winemaker that will fit your purposes or do you start uh, fiddling around in the vineyard to get the right uh, the right grapes for your winemaker? Well... That's a good question. I wineries are always passion projects. Let's be honest. In Ontario, especially, uh, I like to think we have a special group of idiots uh, who get into the wine business uh, because uh, because of the system that we find ourselves under. There's not a lot of money to be made. Nope. Uh, and I, a lot of people think that the wine business is a way to get rich quick. And here in Ontario. It isn't. Nope. And I know that you could validate that after a rather dicey situation you found yourself in. Yep. Um, but as I, I like to call them a passionate bunch of idiots because <laughs> you've really got to love to be in the wine business, to be in the wine business in Ontario. Yes, you definitely do. But I mean, and- the, the good news is, is just like I almost feel like this conversation is good and it's good that we have a, a strong opinion on it, but it's a problem that's almost sorting itself out given the past two very cold winters that we had in Ontario prior to this one that uh, looks like is just past. Um, I mean, Mother Nature has kind of told the winery owners what's going to work. And I mean, it's unfortunate that we lost some really tasty stuff. Like we lost the Semillon from Rosewood, but yep. the good news is Cabernet Franc and Gamay is going in the, the vineyards. And we know that Rosewood does very good things with uh, Cabernet Franc. So it's going to be onwards and upwards for them. Thanks to mother nature. And if, and if it means another great Gamay is out there, then I'm all for it. Me too. And less uh, Merlot. But to answer your question, I think because they are passion projects as an owner, you have to look at, and, and, and I guess it becomes a selfish thing. If I was a winery owner, I would say, what do I like to drink? And try and build my winery based on what I'd like to drink. And the reason is, if this thing goes tits up, I'm going to be stuck with all this wine, and I better like it. Because this is what I'm either going to drink for the rest of my days, 
uh, or or drown him. It's funny though, because that's exactly how you have to look at things. Uh, it, it isn't a way to get rich, but hopefully, worst case scenario, you end up with a bunch of bottles that you're forced to have to drink. So that so that's why I think that you really have to start specializing in in the wines you like. Like uh, we have mentioned, uh, Coyotes Run at the at the beginning of the podcast, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris. Um, but with a little bit of Syrah, they just started making a little bit of Riesling. But it's all in little batches. Yep. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, um, Pinot Gris. Those, I think, are his core, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, they definitely are. And, and he's that's what he's decided. And if, if now, I, I'm not speaking for him, but if I remember, that's what Jeff Aubrey likes to drink. But um, but that's that's what that's what the owners like to drink. And if that's what you like to drink, then go ahead and make it. And they have a great winemaker in in Dave Shepard, and and I've I've heard criticism about Dave Shepard that they say you know he he only knows how to make those those varietals. It's not true. He used to work for in a skill, and he makes everything. But, but it doesn't. It doesn't but but I mean, to the thing that you just said, though, it doesn't really matter if those are the only varietals that he can make. If he's sticking to what he's good at, and that's what uh, Coyotes Run's going to let him do, then by all means, it's a good it's a good fit. Yeah, it's so working. that's what he likes to make. But maybe he does. You know, I know he likes to make Gewürztraminer. That's why he made uh, a Gewürztraminer for his for his anniversary wine. Um, and he likes to make Cabernet Sauvignon. Not a core variety at at, uh, at Coyote's Run, but you know, something he loves to make. Found some really good stuff, and that's what he made. And and I think you know, if you want to make those little batches, but know what's going to sell, know what uh, what you can do, know what your strengths are. Grow those grapes, and 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 you know if if you're not if your winemaker's not strong at Cabernet Sauvignon, don't make a lot of it. Don't keep foisting it on the public. You're well, going to be stuck with it. I for think a long time. I think we can wrap this up just with a simple adage: is that there's a lot to be said for that that saying. Uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Yep. And uh, I think we're going to see more wineries kind of come in and, and focus their portfolio and and just focus on the varietals that do well. I know I listed off 16 Mile. I think we can throw Westcott into that, Domain Quailus into that. Um, Although Quailus is starting, is, is, or from the beginning, started to do some Bordeaux blends too. But they're kind of off they're smaller the batch. side. Like they're the small batches. They're focusing on the Pinot and the Chardonnay. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. But it seems to be a lot of Pinot Chardonnay. What I, again, going back to uh, many weeks ago when we did Cap Front, I would like to see more wineries uh, really putting an effort into making great Cabernet Franc and saying, you know what, we're going to make four or five different kinds of Cabernet Franc from a from a general uh, Cabernet Franc all the way up to like a single barrel because it was so fantastic. I would love to see that, and we don't see that. Not enough. Certainly not enough. <laughs> no, not enough. All right. Well, I think too we much can... too much Chardonnay. <laughs> I know this is a lot of Michael, uh, but really, you said everything that I could have said, and you said it very well. So, I guess until next time, I'm Michael Pincus from uh, MichaelPincusWineReview.com, spouting spouting off my opinions and cutting on Dre off at every opportunity I can. I'm okay with that. I'm just happy that you love Chardonnay so much these days. No, I'm no, Andre no. Proof from AndreWineReview.ca. 
<laughs> Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca, and we're two guys talking wine. You can subscribe to this on iTunes and uh, check it every two weeks. We'll see you in, in two weeks. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe at twoguystalkingwine.com.